Morning, church. Um, if you're joining for the first time today, you might be thinking, what's with all these green books that I see? And just so you know, we're in the third week of our purpose course. And as Belinda said this morning, it's not too late to follow. So if you would like a green book, there are some still available at the info desk. But we're on um, week number three, so that's page seven today if you want to make notes. And in the life groups, we'll be looking at pages eight and nine. And it's, I don't know about you, but we've really enjoyed the questions and the discussion that's come up in the life group. So if you aren't part of one yet, pull into one. It's great to work this out together. So we are looking at answering the question, what is our purpose on earth? And basically, there are two ways we can attempt to answer this question. And the one is by speculation. And just to give you an example of this, uh, a very clever man by the name of Hugh Moorhead, he's a philosophy professor at a distinguished university in America. He set out to write a book, What is the Meaning of Life? And so what he wanted to do as part of his research is he sent out requests to 250 of the most renowned intellectual minds in the world. So he sent out requests to them to find out what their answer would be. And he got varying responses. Um, some people replied to him and said, there's no purpose. <laughs> it's a bit depressing. You're born, you live, you die. Some said, it's you make your own purpose. Some just said, we are clueless. <laughs> and some people even said, please will you send us the book once you've finished because we really don't know how to answer this question. And I think the problem here is we cannot answer this question apart from God. You see, it's like if there's an invention, a lot of us could maybe speculate and say, I think this is used for this and it's used for that. But unless we go to the inventor, we can't really find out what it's, what it's actually used for. And so similarly for us, as God's creation, we need to go to our Creator to find out what our general and our specific purpose is on this earth. We need to go to Him to find out. And so, um, Alex did a great job last week of speaking on our purpose is Christ, having a relationship with Jesus. And this week, we'll be looking at our purpose is Christ-likeness, to become more and more like Jesus. And so if you want to turn there, in Galatians 4, chapter 4, verse 19, this is Paul speaking, and he says, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. And that's quite a powerful metaphor. And I just imagine that some ladies would even say, Paul, what do you know about the pains of childbirth? But, but he's just using a, an illustration to to convey how for him as a, an amazing spiritual father, it, he really yearned and desired greatly that his disciples, those that were following him as he followed Christ, that Christ would be formed in them, that they would become Christ-like. And it really emphasizes that thing of, it's not just important what we do, it's important who we are and who we are becoming. Because a lot of, of course, a lot of what we do flows out of who we are. And I just really appreciate that because 
I love it that God doesn't want us to fake it. He doesn't want us to stick some plastic fruit on ourselves. He wants that real fruit to come forth as we are like Christ, to bring Him glory. And so today, to give us something of a roadmap, we'll just be looking at three questions. The first one is, why do we need to change? Why do we need to become more Christ-like? And, and for all of these answers, we'll be looking in Philippians chapter 2. Please read it when you've got time. It's an amazing passage of Scripture, but we'll just be looking at portions today. And so for the first answer, if we can look at verses 14 and 15, it says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Some translations say warped generation. Among whom you shine as light in the world. And so we see there, there's a calling on our lives that we would be shining lights, that we would shine the light of Christ in a dark world. And the world was dark then, and I believe today it's even darker and it's getting darker and so the world is desperate for the light of Christ. And those words are important there in that scripture where it says crooked and twisted. And what that's speaking of is how because sin came into the world and into the hearts of mankind, ever since that time the world has been corrupted. And the world is actually very sick. And to put it plainly, we're in desperate need of a Savior. In so many ways... Things have, have bent and warped away from God's original intention. And just to give you a few examples of that, um, the Lord has given us food and drink to sustain us, but that has been warped into gluttony and addictions. The Lord has given us financial provision, but that can so easily be twisted into greed and an endless desire for more and more stuff. God has given us the great gift of sexual intimacy, but this can be warped into lust, abuse, loveless pornography. God has given us such a beautiful creation, but instead of stewarding this well, we can exploit it without thinking of future generations. And so those are just a few examples of how sin has affected this world, corrupting it and twisting it. And we need a savior to make things straight. Just to bring it close to home, I really like the, well, it's, I don't know if I like, but it was a hard-hitting example that Steve Wimble used. And he said, just imagine today we could get some electrodes and we could place these electrodes on anybody's head that's sitting here today, including mine. And what would happen is our thoughts over the last month would play like a video on the screen over here. <laughs> People are already, I know for myself, how many of us here would put our hands up and say, sure, you can put that on my head. I, thi I think a lot of us, even though there may be many good thoughts, a lot of us might feel some shame. And that's because we're a work under construction. Even though we have been saved, we are being saved. And we desperately need a Savior to change us from the inside. We're a work in progress. And the good news for us, and uh, in God's rescue plan in the world, Jesus not only did he come to rescue us from our sins, and I'm so grateful for that. That is a huge thing, that we might receive forgiveness, that the shame may be removed, that we may, as the scripture says, be washed as white as snow before him. 
I'm so glad for that, but he, hasn't, he didn't just come to do that. He came to rescue us from sin, our sinful nature, being slaves to sin. And he came to give us a new identity in him to take out the heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh and to change us on the inside so that we can be more like him and bear fruit to his glory. I'm so glad that he came to do that so we don't have to fake it and pretend the whole time. That is good news. And I was just thinking about this recently and talking to my wife about it. And I'm so glad mom shared that scripture about the jars of clay and the treasure inside. And I was just thinking yesterday about that scripture also in Romans 8 verse 19 and how it says, The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. And it goes on to say how creation has been subjected to pains and chaos. And, it's and basically, in my own words, it's waiting for the children of God to testify to Christ, to bring the light in, into the world. And, and to sum it up, the world is desperately sick and longing for Jesus. And coming back to those jars of clay, I was just thinking how many people won't come to our church, you know, and for many different reasons. Maybe they've been hurt by church. Maybe they're disillusioned. But they will come into contact with you and I. They will meet us, whether it be at school, whether it be in the workplace, at the mall. And my question was, what will they come into contact with? Will they come into contact with just the jar? You know, and if I use myself as an example, would they meet me and think, yeah, that guy's quite tall. You know, he looks a bit funny, big nose or whatever. Um, or when they meet with us, would they come into contact with the treasure, Christ in us, the hope of glory? Would they say, you know, that was strange, but I met with the love of Christ. I met with the truth of Christ. I met something of his kindness, something of his patience. And the world, sorry, the world is desperate to meet with Jesus. And so through us, may the world meet him. Not just a jar, of course. <laughs> so that's why it's so important for us to become more like him. Question number two. What does it mean to be more like Jesus? And I love this point because it's an opportunity to boast about our Lord and Savior. And, and I th I'm sure you would agree we could write books on this point. But just to look at two points from that passage in Philippians, um, from verses 5 to 8. Speaking about Jesus, it says, Your attitude be this, should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Amazing passage. And so the first attribute we'll look at is to be more like Jesus is to be more humble. And Jesus Christ, I believe, is the greatest example of humility ever. That God himself would come to earth. You know, when, we, when somebody's humble, we say that person is pretty down to earth. He literally came from heaven to earth. The word became flesh. He left his throne to come to earth to be born in a stinky stable of all places and ultimately to die at the hands 
of those who, who he came to save. What humility is that? The one who is all-powerful took on the nature of a servant. And, you know, I was just thinking yesterday, it's amazing how even when Jesus walked on earth, he didn't go to a palace and dine with kings and that he, he actually was hanging out with the lowly, with the despised, with some people that nobody wanted to even be seen with. That's how humble our God is. He came to, to meet with the sick and to embrace the, those with leprosy. And I think it's just how, how that song goes, he is the humble king. It's amazing how from heaven to earth, he humbled himself completely. So to become like, more like Jesus is to become more humble. And the second attribute I'd like to look at is to become more like Jesus is to become more sacrificial in our love. And this really flies in the face of what happens in the world most of the time, I believe. You know, in the world, it's very transactional. If I do something for you, maybe you'll do something for me. If I rub your back, maybe you'll rub my back. But Jesus really came crashing against the self-absorbed love when, as it says in the Scripture, while we were still sinners, whilst we were His enemies, Christ came and He died for us. And I, I love the way it puts it in the Scripture. It says sometimes, you know, it wouldn't be too strange if somebody had to give their life for somebody that they loved. But God gave Himself for us while we were His enemies, while we hated and rejected Him. It shows you how his incredible, sacrificial, and selfless love. And um, I can speak for myself here, but I can see so often how easy it is to default to what's good for me here. How will this benefit me? But God's love is incredibly sacrificial. So to be like Jesus is to be more sacrificial in our love. The third question how do we become more like Jesus? And I don't think it'll be a surprise to most of us that it's not at the, the click of our fingers. It's, this is a lifelong process and journey to become more like Him. And we see a great answer, I believe, to this in Philippians 2, chapter, again, chapter 2, once again. And if we can look at verses 12 and 13, please. Please look out for the word work as I read these two uh, verses. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always ob obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. So who does the work? <laughs> this might be a little bit confusing. In the first part, it's saying that we must work it out. And then it says that, but no, it's God that is working in us. And I think this is a classic example in Scripture of how two truths, two truths, sorry, hold themselves in tension. We don't want to go all the way to the one side, and we want to be careful not to go all the way to the other side, because it's, it's not a case of me just sitting back and doing nothing, being passive and expecting God to transform me, and it's also not a a case of me doing everything and saying, this is all up to me. I better make it happen so that I can be more like Jesus. No, there's, there's a, a partnership that is happening here. And I really like, um, Steve Wimble uses such a great analogy to explain this. It's like, 
I know I always have this thing of two sides, but on one side, we've got a rowing boat. And I believe there's a picture of a rowing boat. It may come up soon, but uh, that, that what that rowing boat represents is I need to paddle. I need to get this thing done. God helps those who help themselves. So I better get into this boat and paddle like crazy until I get somewhere. And I don't know about you guys, but for anybody here who's tried to serve God in their own strength, it's one of the quickest ways to get miserable <laughs> and fall flat on your face. It really is. So that's all the way on one side. And then all the way on another side, we've got a, we should have a picture of a raft up there. And the motto here would be something like, hey, I'm just going to let go and let God. Wherever the current goes, lacquer. Let's just cruise. <laughs> let's, just, let's just float away and <laughs> see where we land up. And, um, you know, even though there's an element of truth in both of these and that it is a good thing to be a hard worker, don't get me wrong, and it's a good thing to rest in and trust God completely, strictly speaking, both of these are not biblical. What would be a more accurate picture is the last picture, which is a picture of a sailing ship. And as you can see with a sailing ship, a lot of work would need to be done here. With the hoisting of the sails so that the wind and external force can come and propel the boat forwards, there would have to be steering of the ship, making wise decisions as to the direction we need to go. But as I said, that external force would come and propel the boat forwards into the direction that it needs to go. And maybe something of the, the hoisting of the sails, that represents us actually waking up a bit earlier, spending time with the Lord in His presence, reading his word so that our minds can be renewed, so that his grace can come into our lives like wind into those sails, and that he can propel us forward by his strength. And maybe the, the steering of the ship is like us keeping in step with the Holy Spirit, following his nudgings. When he says to me, Stephen, you've spent enough time on Facebook now. It's time to get off there. It's like eating too much junk food. Enough time on Facebook. Stephen, stop complaining about ESCOM. And start thanking me for all the, the multiple things you have to be thankful for. That Springs doesn't have load shedding. How amazing is that? Um, it's just one of the things. <laughs> I mustn't say that too loudly. Sorry. <laughs> Cut that off the, the recording, please. Yeah. <laughs> and um, even things like give this person a call. Give, check in with them. Just make sure they're okay. That following the leading of the Holy Spirit so that we can go forward in Him. It's so important. And so it's a partnership. And that partnership is like the, it's like the fictional story of the mouse and the elephant. And I know mice are supposed to be afraid of elephants. But in this story, a mouse is on top of an elephant and they walk across a bridge. And the bridge really bends. And the mouse says to the elephant, wow, look how we are bending this bridge. And that's like the partnership with us and the Lord. He does what is impossible. He transfers us from death to life. We were dead in our sins, but He makes us alive in Christ. He adopts us into His family. We didn't do anything to deserve that. We didn't even have to, you know, we just said yes, and He, he adopted us. Um, he's the one who transforms us. He does what is, what is impossible with man is possible with God, but yet we need to cooperate with Him and we need to walk carefully with Him, um, keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. 
And I like what it says there in that scripture, walking, working out our salvation with fear and tre- trembling. And, and what does that mean? And I believe it means to walk in reverence and awe of God, in awe of who He is. I really enjoyed um, Fathers and Sons last week, what Bjorn shared. Uh, we meet at 4 p.m. on Sundays, and he, just, he was just speaking how God is God Almighty. He is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He is the King of the universe. And, and as Bjorn was sharing, I just felt that thing impressed on my heart. I need to remember who it is that I'm praying to. You know, I think we know this, but it's not chomi chomi. It's not buddy buddy. He is the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And we need to walk in an appropriate reverence and all before Him. And it, it means walking carefully before Him. I can't just do anything I want. It's like, God, you are holy. I need to be careful and keep in step with you. Even though you're doing the major work, I need to cooperate and be sensitive to you. So just as a summary and a recap of those three questions, why do we need to change? Because the world is sick because of sin, and we desperately need a Savior, Jesus, to straighten us out. And in Hebrews chapter 1, it says, speaking about Jesus, the Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of His being. And even Jesus Himself said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so, of course, the Father wants us to become more like Jesus, because the more like Jesus we are, the better we will represent the Father. And it's, for me, it's one of the most tragic things in the world today is so many people don't know the love of the Father. They have no idea what the Father is really like. And so we, may we shine light into that darkness to show them what the Father is really like. Number two, we looked at what does it mean to be more like Jesus. And we just looked at two points for today. It means to be more humble and more sacrificial in our love. And number three, how do we become more like Jesus? And there we saw how in verses 12 and 13, it's the Lord who works in us to will and to act according to His purpose. And and our response to that should be to work out our salvation with fear and trembling with Him by His grace, day by day, moment by moment. And just in finishing off, I wanted to just focus on that doing it with Him abiding in him because that is absolutely crucial in this walk and romans 8 uh, verses 29 to 30 in the passion translation says this for he knew all about us before we were born and he destined us from the beginning to share the likeness of his son this means the son Speaking of Jesus, is the oldest among a vast family of brothers and sisters who will become just like him. Having determined our destiny ahead of time, he called us to himself and transferred his perfect righteousness to everyone he called. And those who possess his perfect righteousness, he co-glorified with his son. Wow. And I just love how in those verses, it says again, how the father, it's not our idea, The Father predestined it that we would become and conform to the image of Jesus Christ. And then I think my favorite part there and the part that's really standing out is that He called us to Himself. It's not like at the beginning of our lives or when we gave our lives to Christ, God fired the starting gun and said, okay, go, 
title go? And then it's not like he jumped to the finish line. And as you came in, he was like, okay, pass there, fail there, pass, fail. That's, that's not God's heart at all. Right from the beginning in the Word, we see his intention was to walk with us. He called us to himself. He called us to abide in him and to enjoy the pleasure of his company, which is amazing. And um, I was just going for a run the other day, something I'm trying to do lately. And to be honest, I was mostly just trying to not be out of breath. But uh, it was a beautiful time of the day, and I saw the pink, red, orange sunset. And I was just thinking, wow, Lord, your creation is beautiful. This is breathtaking. And as it was strangely enough, as I was running, I was reminded of a song we used to sing in Southport Primary, back in primary school. Some of you might remember it. I'm not going to sing it, but it was that one. He gave me eyes so I could see uh, the wonders of the world. He gave me ears. Uh, sorry, that comes a little bit later. <laughs> But it doesn't matter. Eventually it gets to the point where it says, I've got to tell it to the world. He made me. And I just thought that tied in so much with our purpose course. And that, that scripture we've been looking at so much is we are his handiwork. And it's hard to put it into words. But while I was running there, I just felt so much of the Father's heart of, I've created you for this. I've created you to share in moments like this with me. Where you can say, look, Father, look at how beautiful your creation is. And it's such a joy to share in the wonder of his creation with him. And it was, like I said, it's hard to put in words, but I was just astounded at, oh, wow, God, you've called us to yourself. You've called us to do life with you and to enjoy life with you. And that's such a privilege and such a precious thing. And it's, of course, so key in our becoming more like Jesus because to become more like him, we need to spend more time with him. It's, it will be almost a natural byproduct of spending time with the Lord. And Andrew Murray says it so well when he says, oh no, you cannot separate God from his word. No goodness or power can be received separate from God. And if you want, it, and if you want to get into this life of godliness, you must take time to fellowship with God. And I think that's so good because God is not a vending machine. He doesn't want to say, here you go. Here's some patience. Here's some kindness, run with it. He, he's saying, come and abide in me. Come and remain in me. And as we walk this life together, I will give you patience. I will be your love. I will, I will give you those things as you commune and as you abide in me. He wants to walk with us in this life. And so in conclusion, it's, it's my prayer for us that as we do life with the Father, as we abide in, in Him, that we would be the greatest expressions of Christ that we can be so that the world won't just see jars of clay, but they will see Christ in us, the hope of glory. They will see there is hope even in these times. They will see I am loved, even though I'm thinking, how could anybody love me? No, no, the love of Christ is amazing. God loves you no matter what. And so, friends, let's be that light that shines in the darkness. Can I... Can we stand and can we pray together, please? If you're able to stand. If you're not able to stand, don't worry about it at all. But can we pray together? I just wanted to pray for two groups of people uh, this morning. And yeah, please close your eyes. Let's, let's focus on the Lord. But the, the first group that I wanted to pray for is perhaps a lot of what you've heard this morning is foreign. You don't know what it is 
to walk with Jesus, to do this life with Jesus. You don't know what it is to have your sins forgiven, to be completely forgiven and washed white as snow. You don't know what it is to receive his love and be adopted as a son or a daughter into his house. And I wanted to make that opportunity this morning. If you want to say, yes, Lord, I want to give my life to you. Would you raise your hand this morning? Because I would love to pray with you. Is there anyone like that this morning? Don't want to hob on this point. Okay. Then I'd just like to pray with all of us here this morning. And Father, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you, Lord, that you gave it all. That you humbled yourself even to death on a cross. The cr you died the, the death of a criminal so that we could be saved, Lord. So that we could, we could have a, a right relationship with you. And Father, we want to thank you for that privilege. We want to thank you, Lord, that you've called us to yourself. We want to thank you that we can do this life with you. And Father, I want to thank you that you are committed to the work that you've started in each and every one of us. I want to thank you, Lord, for the way that you're chiseling and the way that you're working at each one of us right now. And we want to thank you, Lord, make us more like Jesus. Make us more like Jesus. I pray, Lord, that that light would shine out of that jar of clay so brightly that the world wouldn't be able to miss it. I thank you, Lord, that you would use us to show many people what you are really like. Thank you, Father, that you would have your way in our lives. Thank you, Lord, that you would show us more and more what you've called us to and how we can specifically live this out. Thank you for your grace in our lives, Lord. We praise you and we thank you, Father. Amen. Just as Stephen was sharing, blind people that run in different races and how they have someone who runs next to them to help them keep in lane and to keep on course. And um, so that's the one scenario, but the other one is even more astounding than that is that a lot of them do cross country and so they have to rely on the person who can see to warn them what is coming up ahead. And so much of our journey is like this, that we have to be hand in hand with Jesus. He's the one who's leading and guiding us. Yes, we're running with him, but he's the one who's leading and guiding us. He's the one who is warning us of what is coming up to be careful of, he has this obstacle, um, be careful of this. And if we try and do it by ourselves and we, if I can put it this way, let go of his hand and go our own way, we're going to stumble and fall. But when we are hand in hand with Jesus, man, he's going to lead us, he's going to guide us. He's not going to let us fall into those ditches, trip over those logs. And so can I encourage us this week to draw closer to Jesus? Also, I just want to encourage us that, I don't know how many of you have been doing it, but in these manuals that you've got, there's a 36-day devotional. And uh, if you've been looking at some of those devotionals, they are incredible. And if you've missed out, go, go and catch up. Go and look through those things. There's some real incredible 
teachings and truths that have come from those daily devotionals. But let's draw close to Jesus. Let's spend time in his presence, learning to appreciate who he is and what he's done for us. Amen. God bless you. Have an awesome day. Please don't rush off. Come and enjoy some tea and coffee and some fellowship with us. And uh, we'll see you again next week. Amen.